This podcast is brought to you by Dingle Mount Church. It will open up God's Word to you, inspire you to love God, and grow in the knowledge of Him, and challenge you to live a victorious Christian life. Be blessed as you listen. If you have your Bibles, you can go with me, please, to the book of Numbers, chapter 32. That's in the Old Testament on page uh, 173. Numbers, chapter 32. Uh, but we'll read just um, a verse of scripture, and that is verse 23. And then after that, we'll go to the book of Proverbs. So, Numbers, chapter uh, 32, and I'll read uh, verse 23. And this is um, the word to the people of Israel. And he says, but if you do not do so, that is, hearken to all the commandments and the things that God has told them. He says, then take note, you have sinned against the Lord. And he says, and be sure your sin will find you out. And that's a popular phrase that people normally um, use, saying your sins will find you out. And then let's go now to the book of Proverbs chapter 14. And we'll also read just one verse of scripture. And this morning what we are looking at is a simple message that I've chosen to title, The Greatest Mistake We Can Make. The Greatest Mistake, not we, but anybody uh, can make. And uh, the next scripture is Proverbs chapter 14. And I'll read verse 34. And there the scripture says that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach. And it's like a contrast to what righteousness can do, not just for a nation, but for individuals as well. And also what sin uh, can do. And Lord, we just pray this morning that you would uh, speak to us from this verse of scripture. And we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will take these words and open it up to us, especially in the times that we live in. And I pray, Lord, that... um, uh, for minds that may be closed this morning, Lord, I pray that it will be open, that the word of God will go deep down into everyone's heart. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, for those of us that were here last Sunday, uh, when we celebrated uh, Father's Day, and we had a Father's Day sermon that I preached on, and that was from the story of Noah, if you still remember that um, uh, sermon where we looked at what made Noah different in his generation. Uh, Why God looked at him and said that Noah was a righteous man. And not just so he was a righteous man, but Noah was a just man. And if you remember that story, what stood out in the life of Noah was his walk with God. How Noah stood out in his generation. Because the Bible tells us that Noah was living in a time... Uh, when there was so much unrighteousness, immorality, things were happening on around him. But Noah, as we saw in the Bible, he was called a preacher of righteousness. In other words, he kept reminding the people that God is true to his words. God will be true to his promises. He was telling them, love what God loves. At the same time, he was saying to them, hate what God hates. And I think that that is a great message, especially for the times or the generation in which we live in. Um, I remember that was a few days ago. Someone sent me an email, and this is, uh, came from the States. Some of us might know him. And the email, he was talking to us about um, 
the gay marriage in America and how all the states now have it's been legalized and accepted as the norm and that is what will be and I remember reading that email and one thing he said in that email he said that today marks the downfall of America and I was thinking of that phrase today marks the downfall of America and at the same time I saw a headline somewhere else from those that were in support of the verdicts that was passed and they said today love has won and so when you contrast the two statements today marks the downfall of America and someone else is saying today love has won the question that comes to mind or that we need to be asking ourselves is what is the difference in the attitude why would one person say today love has won and another person say today marks the downfall of America and I think that it all boils down to our attitude towards what God views as sin or towards what we believe in our hearts and conscience that scripture rightly condemns but if we look around us today, people's attitude towards what the Bible calls sin, or what we are supposed to not just support, but what we are supposed to speak out about, it is changing. Uh, we really don't know what is right anymore, or what is wrong anymore, and only time will tell how this, all this will unfold. But what we are getting at is that the Bible is still clear, not just with what is going on in America, but even with what is going on all around the world today. When we see violence, God is not in support of that. When we see things happening, divisions and things going on around us, God is not in support of that. And when we talk about sin, we are simply saying that every unrighteousness, as the scripture calls it, is sin. And why I said this morning, we are talking about the greatest mistake that we can make is to come to a point where we no longer view sin as God views it, as God sees it in the scriptures. When you pick up your Bible and you read from Genesis all the way through Revelation, there you have the revealed will of God for us. And sometimes what Christians do is that they pick up their Bibles and they are praying and they are asking God, please show me your will, I want to know your will. Now we can't be asking God to show us his will when he has already revealed it to us. What we should be asking is are we doing the will of God that has already been revealed to us? It's just like me saying, God, speak to me whether to witness to my neighbor or not, or whether to witness to those who don't know you. The will is there. The Bible tells us what we ought to do. In the same way, the Bible has already told us what to do when sin is present. The scripture we read this morning tells us clearly, righteousness, this is what it does, it exalts a nation. But it says, but sin is a reproach to any people. And I'm sure that many of us here this morning, if you look over your life, you must have made mistakes in the past. I have made some myself. We all have made mistakes. And some mistakes are serious, while others are not. Some mistakes can be life-threatening, while others may not be as, as, as life-threatening as some other mistakes that we can make. But I think that the greatest mistake that anyone can make is to think that they can get away with sin. And that's the attitude that we see, especially not just in our communities today, in some families, in our nation today, all around the world. People thinking, well, I can get away with what God hates. What God says in scripture, this I hate. And people are saying, no, it doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter what the Bible says, but I can get away with anything that I want. Remember the scripture we read in Numbers chapter 32. That was exactly what they were being reminded of. He said, this is the will of God for you. This is what God has said. But if you think that you can get away with it, 
He says, your sins will surely find you out. And that opens up the whole subject of the Christian understanding of sin and how that not just affects us. Because if you go back to the book of Genesis, right from the beginning, it just plunges you right into the subject of sin. If you think about redemption and the gift that we have in Jesus Christ, it opens up the subject of sin. If you go back to Revelation right at the end of the Bible, it also brings up the subject of sin. Because why would Jesus come back again, put everything under subjection, and then reign in this life, in this earth forever and ever? That is because sin will have to be put away with. So right at the heart of the biblical narrative of not just fall, redemption, and the new creation, there you have the subject of sin all through in the Bible. So for us as Christians, we will never come to a point when we will close our eyes or shy away from this subject and say, well, it just doesn't matter. Whatever the society says, we will go along with or we will believe or we will live out that through our lives. The Bible calls us as Christians to always stand true to what we know, not just to be right in our conscience as revealed through the word of God, but also to shun sin wherever that we see it. And so this morning, what I just want to do quickly before we uh, go into a little short time of, of prayer is to see why the Bible calls us to reject sin, not just for the Christian, but even for a nation as a whole. It's so easy for a nation to pride itself in its ability to preach the gospel and go to all parts of the world, and maybe they can glory in the past as we know in this nation. But the question is, what is going on now? The same thing for the Christian. You can glory in your past and say, well, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I served God. God used me. God used me to preach and lives were touched and changed. But the question is, what is your attitude to sin now? Is it the same as the first time that your heart was made alive when you walked to the altar or maybe when you gave your heart to the Lord? It's been proven that over time, Christians, even their attitudes to sin sometimes can get a little bit not as strong as it should be, but we discover that there's a little bit of compromise even in the light of in the life of a Christian. When we first give our lives to God, is that all consuming passion? We want to please Him. We want to do everything that God wants us to do. We are willing at every moment to listen to His voice and to obey Him. But over time, maybe because we've gotten used to God, we've gotten used to the Scriptures, maybe we've gotten used to the subject of grace and forgiveness. It doesn't matter what I do, I can always come back to Him. Or even it doesn't matter whether I do it or not. And over time, that first love we have for Christ and for His Word begins to diminish. But God will remind us again, there is consequences when it comes to sin and obeying him. There will be consequences for a nation that also abandons God. And the first thing we want to look at as why this is very important is our fellowship with God. Because the first thing we are talking about is that sin will affect our fellowship with God. And I think this is the best place to start with. If you go to 1 John chapter 1... And I'm going to show you, this is a very important scripture in the book of 1 John. And some of us, we already know this verse of scripture. But let's look at it again this morning. In 1 John chapter 1, look at from verses 7 to 9. Because we are created as Christians for fellowship. And so if we are not taking a high view of sin and seeing it exactly as how God views it, it will affect our fellowship. Look at verse 7. It says, but if we walk in the light... 
This is Jesus God as he is in the light. He says, what do we have? We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, he says, cleanses us from all sin. And look at verse 8. He says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I love verse 10. He says, if we say then that we have not sinned, he says, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. And that whole verse of scripture from 7 to 9 is about fellowship. Because when you gave your heart to the Lord, it's about fellowship. Something happened. A new love relationship has been started. But what spoils that fellowship, what ruins that fellowship, is when we allow sin, those little foxes, those things that spoil the vine, to come back into our lives. Remember the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. The Bible tells us clearly it was a beautiful relationship. How better can it get? God walking with man, speaking with man, enjoying that freedom that they had. But then something came in. They allowed sin in the midst of them. And the Bible tells us that God came calling and called them, where are you? And I think that's the question that God even asks, not just today, but individuals. Where are you in your relationship with me? When you hear the voice of the Lord, will you run away just like they did? And the Bible says they hid themselves. That's because they know something isn't right. They've broken that relationship, that fellowship that they had with God. Already the Bible tells us was gone. Sin broke that fellowship. And even for us today, when you look into your life and when I look into my life, one of the things that can hinder the fellowship the depth of fellowship that God is calling us to. Not just, like I said, for the nation, but also for us as Christians. Because we can be talking about the nation while we as Christians, we are not looking inwards all the time. Evaluating our lives, asking ourselves, have my attitude changed towards the things that God hates? But God will say to us, sin will rob us of the greatest joys. If you go to the book of Psalm 51, you remember the story of David. And David was a man, the Bible describes as a man after God's own heart. And um, you see in the book of Psalm 51, which is a popular psalm about David's cry for forgiveness when he sinned against God. Uh, By doing what he ought not to do, he killed, he murdered someone and tried to cover it up. And um, so often what people do when they sin against God, you can remember in the garden also, they try to cover their nakedness. And that's always what happens. People trying to cover things up. And you look at um, Psalm 51 and verse 8. And you can see the cry of the psalmist. He says in verse 8 of Psalm 51, he says, Make me to hear joy and gladness. He says that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. And then in verse 9 he says, Hide thy face. He says, Hide your face from my sins. And then he says, Blot out my iniquities. Look at verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast Spirit within me. Verse 11, he says, Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I love verse 12. He says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with your generous spirit. And there you see the effect of sin. That no, we're not just talking about breaking of fellowship, but there for the individual Christian, it robs us of the joy of the Lord. Because you know that you can serve God the way that you ought to. Because something just isn't right. Something is there that God is saying, I need to put my hands on it. And that has 
to be made right. So the Bible tells us clearly that sin is serious. Not only does it have national consequences, but it does have consequence also for the Christian. To show us how serious this subject is, what do you think that took Jesus Christ to the cross? It was sin that took him to the cross. And that is how grievous, how, how God views the subject of sin. And you remember on that day when Jesus Christ hung on the cross, the Bible tells us clearly that at that very hour there was pitch darkness all over the place. It was like God turning his back against his son. He was taking on the sins of the whole world. And that shows you that this is a very serious matter. But that is what in our time and generation people no longer take serious. It doesn't matter who died on the cross. It doesn't matter whether it is his sin or my sin. Or even the subject of sin. Who who sinned? I I haven't sinned. And that is the attitude that people do put up. It just does not matter. But let us remind ourselves over again. Let us, as the psalmist cried here, renew a steadfast spirit within me. And part of a steadfast spirit is a spirit that loves what God loves. And a spirit that hates what God hates. I remember maybe when I first um, gave my life to Christ, if you were like me, maybe on that day that you, in those days when you walk up uh, to the altar, and there are some places that that still happens, and you give your heart to the Lord. If you can remember the excitement that came upon you, the joy that filled your heart, when you walked out on that day, how you were willing to share the gospel with everybody, how you were willing to please God in all things, how you were willing to shun sin or anything that God says that he hates. But over time, like I said, it's so easy for us to begin to think, well, it just doesn't matter anymore. God will understand. But in the same way, right from the book of Genesis, all to the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us that sin is very serious. I'm going to show us a scripture, and this will show us again why this subject is very important for the scripture. Not only will it affect our fellowship with God, but you know that sin will also affect the family. And when we say the family, I will explain it in this context. Go with me please to the book of Romans chapter 14. When you get to the book of Romans chapter 14, and uh, let us see a verse of scripture in verse 7. And you see in verse 7, there's this, there's a, the, there's this scripture there, and I'm going to explain it uh, quickly in the context of what we are looking at. The Bible says there, for none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. Now when you think about this verse of scripture, it goes contrary to the attitude of the generation that we live in. It's a society and a generation and a time where people feel, well I I live for myself. Whatever I do have got no consequence whatsoever. It doesn't affect anyone as long as it's about me. As long as I am happy, as long as what my conscience is, I think in my own conscience is right, doesn't matter what God feels about it, whether it affects anyone or not, as long as it has to do with me. And if you look at all the arguments, even going on, this, especially in our time and season, over some of the controversial subjects that we have today, boils down to people thinking that what they do, will not affect anybody else or that they are called to live unto themselves but for the Christian that is not so we never reap the consequences of sin alone and that's why when God brings us into a family God is saying to us you are now bound up together in that family what you do will affect me 
What I do will affect you. And you see this principle all through the scripture. So we are not just talking about sins that are committed in isolation. We are talking about sin and its consequences. Go to Genesis again. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, that was a relationship. Man, woman, and God in the midst of them, they sinned, and we see how that was passed over onto all humanity. Were they living for themselves? The answer is no. Were they trying to die to them for themselves? The answer is no. The reality is that when one died, everyone else died. If one man, through Jesus Christ, as the Bible tells us, lives as we saw him resurrect from the dead, we all in him will also live. So sin does have consequences. A practical example, if you remember in the book of Second Samuel, we're not going there, but just to remind us, when um, David sinned, and before he started crying unto God, read that story again. It just only, did not only affect him, but it also affected his family. You remember what happened. The sword did not depart from his family. As a result, his child died. It's just like when husband and wife are together. And a husband is so irresponsible and does whatever he likes. And says to his wife, well, it's not going to affect you. Whatever I do, have no consequences in terms of the harmony in the home. We know that isn't true. And the same thing in the church of God. We are bound together. This is like there is spiritual harmony and unity. When one member sins, it affects not just you, but it also affects every other person. You remember the story of Achan in the Bible. And the Bible is clear. God chose Israel. They were like a unit and they were out marching to battle. But one man, one man's greed, he went, took the Babylonian garment and he hid it. In his thinking, he was living for himself. Oh, it's all about me. It doesn't matter what I do. I can take this little piece of garment and gold coins and I can hide it and it doesn't affect anybody. Whatever I do in my little tent have got no national consequence. But how wrong was Achan? God, God came calling. The children of Israel went to battle and they were defeated. And they came back, fell on their faces and began to cry that God, why did this happen? You gave us a promise that where Israel will never run from their enemies. But now Israel has been defeated. And God said, what has happened? Then God spoke to them. There is an accursed thing in the camp. There is something that is in the midst of you that should not be there. And that's why when God brings Christians together, we always have to, because it's a fellowship. We are bound together. We cry together. We rejoice together. When something that isn't right comes in, it not just filters through the fellowship, but it also kills and destroys the spirit of fellowship. I'm going to show you this scripture. This is in line with communion, and we're going to be having communion tonight. But look at this scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30. And you can see how serious this, what I'm talking about can be. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is Paul speaking to them. And there you see not just the spiritual consequence, but physical consequence of sin and not taking God seriously at what God says. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And I'm going to read from verse 29. Uh, no, look, I'll read from verse 27. That will um, help us to understand it better. Look at 1 Corinthians 11:27. It says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, it says, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. 
But he says, let the man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the lost body. Look at verse 30, and this is very, very important. He says there, for this reason, he says, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Actually, some of them, as a result of the way they were treating the lost body and the things that God felt was holy, they were not there anymore. And I don't know how else we can explain some of these things. And that shows you how God views things that are holy and sacred. But like I said, the more we try to uphold the things that are sacred, the more our society and nation and generation says there is nothing sacred anymore. And that is why the Christian needs to constantly examine himself. We're not just saying examine yourself because you're going to take communion. Then after communion, you know, we walk out and live as we want. But it's daily examination. Constantly asking ourselves, am I living the way God wants me to live? Is my life reflective or indicative of one who have come to know the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior? And I think that that is a very, very good question that we will be asking ourselves. Look at Galatians chapter 6. There's a scripture in Galatians chapter 6 and this is a very important principle with regards to sin. In the book of Galatians and uh, this is Paul writing to the Galatian Christians and I'll read the uh, two verses there. In Galatians chapter 6, look at verses um, 7 and verse 8. And verse 7 says, it says, do not be deceived. And that is the deception that we are talking about. Not just individual deception, but national deception. It says, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he says, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit, he says, will of the spirit reap Everlasting life. That tells us that this is a principle that has been set in God's word. As long as the earth remains, we normally use that scripture during harvest. Seed time, harvest time, colds, winter, summer, all that will not cease. And the same principle applies. Whatever we sow, that is what we reap. If I sow to my flesh in sin, that is what I'm going to reap. If I sow to the spirit in righteousness, that is what I I'm going to reap. But sometimes, like I've said, people think they can mock God. And that's why he says, don't think that God can be mocked. And not just that, do not be deceived. Because it starts with self-deception. When we come to a point where the Christian now deceives himself or convinces himself that it just doesn't matter. Anything is acceptable. It doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter how I live. It doesn't matter what God feels or how God views what he says in his word. But I can do whatever. And he says there, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And I think that that's the question we should be asking. What seeds am I sowing? Am I sowing seeds of righteousness? Am I sowing seeds that reinforce the values and the things that God loves? Or am I sowing seeds of hatred, of separation, of violence? And those seeds that we, the scripture says, one will obviously reap. We need to be careful. God means what he says. And the last scripture I want us to look at, and this is another consequence of sin, not just we need to affect the family unit, but sin will affect us forever. And this is very important. Go with me to Romans chapter 6. And I'll show us 
a scripture there because it just doesn't end here. But look at Romans chapter 6 and a very important scripture there. In Romans you have a lot being said about salvation and our relationship with God. But look at verse 23. And he says there, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our sin. The wages of sin is death. And we know what wages are. If you wake up every morning and you go to work or you do a job for someone, you expect to be paid. So if I am working for sin, promoting sin, this is what I'm going to be paid with. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And when the Bible says it, it means what it says. That's what it is. And we're not talking about just physical death that you may say, well, but I'm still alive. That's why I said it will affect us forever and in eternity. The man who disregards scripture and says it just doesn't matter. There isn't any consequence. There isn't any wages of, of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But then it contrasted with this. But the gift of God. In other words, there is something that God wants to give. That people are rejecting. People don't want to know about. He says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. If you remember that scripture. That says it is appointed unto man once to die. And then after death what comes? The Bible says judgment. And we are looking at this subject I think in our Bible study on um, Sunday. And someone asked a question about judgment. And we said to ourselves and from what, what came up. We are not talking about on that day we all stand before God. And then God will hold a scale in his hands. And then he will weigh up the good that you've done. And then weigh up the bad that you've done. If the bad outweighs the good. And then you go to hell. If the good outweighs the bad then you go to heaven. No, no, no. It's already been determined. And it's determined based on the revelation. How you treat the revelation. Why you are here on earth. That you have received of Jesus Christ. He has revealed himself. So if I reject him now. And I'm still sowing to myself in, in unrighteousness. Already determined. This is what I'm going to reap. So it's not about you standing before God. And God weighing up the good and the bad. That's not what it is. It's about what you did while you were in this life, the opportunity you have, and whether you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior. Whether you have received this gift of eternal life that God came to give you. Look at another scripture in the book of Revelation, chapter 3. And in the book of Revelation, you can see the Spirit there speaking to the churches. In Revelation, chapter 3, you have this message to the church that was apparently looked like it was alive. But it was dead. And look at what the Spirit says there in Revelation 3 verse 11. It says, Behold, I come quickly. It says, Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. And you wonder, why is the scripture talking about no one will take your crown? Now that is about rewards. Because this church, as we see it in the book of Revelation chapter 3, if you go back right from the beginning, the, the Spirit of God had already told them. He says, this thing say he who has the seven spirit, that is from verse 1. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive. But he says, but you are dead. In other words, on the outside, it looked like everything was okay. Everything was going. And so also, sometimes, you know, people can be involved in a lot of activity around them. But spiritually speaking... They may not even have the life of God on the inside of them. And that's why this verse was written. It says then in verse 2, be careful 
Be watchful. Strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. He says, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Sin will rob us of our rewards. For the Christian, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and said, personal Savior, he's not going to condemn you to eternal damnation. But you know what? You want to not just make heaven, but you want to be rewarded. And the Bible speaks about our rewards. But the reality is that when we joke with sin and joke with the things that God values, there is that possibility, as the scripture tells us in Revelation 3, we need to hold fast to that. Or else, he says, let no one take your crown. The reward that should be ours will end up not receiving those rewards that should be us. But the good news for us this morning is that we have not just a Savior who died for our sins, as the Bible tells us, but who also cleansed us from our, cleanses us from our sins, as we saw in 1 John. So no matter what sins that you have committed, or what sins that might be there, or what problems that anyone even outside of Jesus Christ is faced with, the Bible says that when they come to Him, that He is faithful, He will cleanse them, He will forgive them, and He will bring them. So in receiving Jesus Christ by faith, they are justified, which means that God now declares them righteous and says, you can now walk free and live in abundant victory. And that is exactly why Jesus Christ came. The Bible says in John 10.10, the thief comes not but to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But he says, I am come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. And that's the difference. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy whatever thing that is good. That's what he wants to take away. The remaining life and spirituality that you have in this nation, that's what the enemy wants to take away. The Christians who are zealous for good works, who want to serve God with the whole of their hearts, those are the targets for the enemy. But Jesus is saying, I am come. So the thief has come, but Jesus is saying, this is what I've come to do, to counter whatever the enemy has come to do, and that is to give you life. Not just any other life, but he says, life Abundantly, and the, and, and, the, and the good news there for me is that there is daily victory in Jesus Christ. And no matter what the struggles are, no matter what we as Christians go through, Jesus Christ has promised that we can overcome. But like I said, the greatest mistake anyone can make is to think that they can get away with sin. And that's why I'm saying this to us this morning. Though the world may say, love has triumphed today. Let us remember and ask ourselves that question. How does God view things? It's not about how the world views it or how the majority see it. But how does God view what I'm seeing right before me? Shall we just bow our hearts as we uh, just talk to him briefly this morning? And all we can ask for is Lord to rekindle in our hearts that burning passion to love what he loves. And to hate what he hates. God is not calling us to hate anyone. But all he's calling us to. Is to be true to his word. To live for him. There's a scripture in the book of Psalms. It says because thou hast hated 
iniquity and loved righteousness. And this is speaking about Jesus. He says, the Lord your God has exalted, not just exalted, but anointed him with the oil of gladness. He's above his fellows. And that was the attitude when Jesus was here on earth. He loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. And so also he wants that passion to be born in our hearts. That we love him so much that we want to please him all the days of our lives. Even as we pray, we can also remember the pastor that we spoke about on Thursday in our prayer meeting. Who at the moment in Northern Ireland or thereabout, somewhere around there, who is facing a prison, um, I think a court case. All because of some one statement he made in his church that he doesn't believe that the doctrines of Islam are satanic. And they said that he's inciting religious hatred. And he said, well, he will not recount what he has said, that he's ready to go to prison if it means that. In the same way God has called us. To that freedom that what we believe in our hearts. If God, Jesus says, no man can, there is no other way by which a man can be saved. That is what he says and we can't offend anyone by saying what the Bible, the scripture says. That is what I believe, that is what you believe. And if anyone asks you or asks me, I will say the same. There is no other salvation in any other. And that man said, he will not, if it means going to prison, so be it. But he believes that this is the way, this is Jesus, the one and only true God that has been revealed to us. We are called to be bold. We are called at the same time to be wise. And it is through that that we live out daily the things that God would love to see in our lives. Not just Christians witnessing for him. But those who know their God. As the scripture says, they will do exploits for him. And we just ask him this morning to, not just to cleanse us of those times when we've been maybe timid to share the gospel. Or even denied outrightly that we believe in what the scripture says. But that our conscience will come alive. And if anyone is asking us for the reason, for the hope that we have, we should be able to say, this is what the Bible says. I'm not here to condemn you, but this is what the scripture says. And that is where our job ends, really. For us to speak out and say, this is what he says. And it's left for the Spirit of God to walk with whatever scriptures. For God to prove himself. And Lord, we just thank you this morning for the words that you've spoken into our hearts. Thank you for helping us to see that the greatest mistake anyone can make is to think that they can get away with sin. With sin. And Lord, help us this morning that as we depart from this place, not only are we determined in our hearts to love what you love and shun the things that you hate, 
But Lord, we will continue to speak about the things that you are doing in our lives. As witnesses of your kingdom. Bold, as the scripture says, as a lion. Bringing souls into your kingdom. Thank you for the blood of Jesus, once again, that cleanses from all sins. Thank you because the door is open for anyone who wants to come in to receive this life that you've come to give. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, why not join us in worship at the Dingle Mount Church or log on to our website at www.dinglemount.org for more information. Thank you for listening.